Welcome to the ACO Show, a podcast where we explore the changing landscape of American healthcare as seen from the point of view of one company that is working to be part of that transformation. Alidate is a company that helps independent physicians start and run accountable care organizations, and we'll be talking about what that change looks like from the inside, talking to some of the people who are instrumental in the idea of making better healthcare for the population into a reality. I'm Josh Israel, a medical director at Alidate. And I'm Joe Schunkweiler. I lead the adoption and training team here at Alidate, and I'm also a physician. This is our interview with Dr. Emily Maxson. She's an internal medicine physician and senior vice president at Allidade for Medical Affairs. As you'll hear, she brings a lot of passion and compassion to the work, and I know she particularly values making sure no one ever forgets that the patient is really at the heart of this process. Yeah, Emily does a great job explaining what it means to approach healthcare from the point of view of population health and accountable care, and really helps us all stay pointed to the North Star that even though we need to change the way healthcare is paid for, if we want to have a better healthcare system, the care that providers feel for their patients is such a key part of what is going to make these changes possible. So here at Allidade, we are very fortunate to have a CEO who is also a Twitter celebrity. So I wanted to start today's conversation with a tweet. Uh, Christina Farr, who's a CNBC health and technology reporter, tweeted on June 27th, the most disruptive thing we can do in healthcare is explain how it works in plain English. So Dr. Emily Maxson, uh, thank you for joining us today. Given your background as a clinician, how would you describe value-based care to a fellow physician in plain English? So I think of accountable care and value-based care as the ability to accept and, and take responsibility for your flock's health, both those who come to see you frequently and those who don't, those that you've really embraced truly as your patients and for those who have passed through but have no other continuity relationship that might put them under the care of another. It's, it's really a vision of the future where we leave fee-for-service behind and leave this patient as the ATM system in the past and rather enter a world where we're reimbursed for high-quality, high-value care that helps people stay healthy. Yeah, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. Would that, would that change if you were talking to somebody outside the medical world? A little bit. For, for patients and for non-healthcare personnel, I like to talk about value-based care as a paradigm that empowers doctors and the patient to work together to right-size the care for the individual and deliver the best quality and value care possible with an eye towards optimizing health through preventive services and a reinvestment in primary care. I think a lot about Atul Gawande's ATM metaphor. It really resonated with people. His New Yorker piece was super widely read, and, and if you recall, there was a cartoon image on it as a patient does an ATM machine, just repeatedly shelling out money for every service provided, whether this service was necessary or beneficial or not. And and I think people inside and outside of the healthcare system really grasp this image and, and can speak to it. So I think a lot about that. And, and then I think also about the aspirational goal of actually rewarding high quality, high value care instead of high volume service provision. I think this speaks to some folks in the, in the non-healthcare setting and then others, it's a more practice vision to get used to. 
So Emily, what you're describing sounds good for patients, good for society, good for doctors, sounds like a no-brainer. So why is this so hard or disruptive? Why is this a challenging transition for, for independent docs or for anybody for that matter? So the fee-for-service mindset is so deeply entrenched in today's physicians and in health systems in general. If you think about the independent physician as a small business owner, they've got staff and overhead, and and they've already worked hard for years to optimize their practice, to serve their communities, and hopefully turn a healthy profit in the process. Otherwise, they can't keep their lights on. Changing a reimbursement structure provokes anxiety. Do, Do we know that this payment model is sustainable? Is it going to fail or disappear? Is this just the next adventure for policy wonks? Uh, and then I think the other thing that comes into mind is the challenge of whether value-based incentives are enough to compensate for the revenue lost by avoiding wasteful services that have actually brought in a profit to the practice. These are things like wasteful EKGs or carotid ultrasounds or other office-based tests that practices have actually invested in the testing equipment, but the tests aren't always indicated for healthy patients without symptoms. And we're really asking people to give up this fee-for-service revenue in the transition to value-based care. Another thing is that accepting accountability for your whole population of patients is really challenging and requires work that was not traditionally reimbursed in the fee-for-service system. The first thing is that you have to understand who your flock is, who who are your patients, and and this is really not easy. Medicare and every other value-based insurance program that I'm aware of have these complicated, convoluted methodologies for determining whether a patient belongs to you or not. So for example, it's hard to tell whether Mrs. Smith is my responsibility or yours. And, and they try to align this with patterns of care, but let's say Mrs. Smith has seen me twice a year for 12 years. Let's say I care for her husband. I know both of their goals of care. I know their Yorkie's name. And, and if she just so happens to visit an urgent care facility a few times while she's snowbirding in Florida this year, Medicare may actually completely forget or disregard our relationship and attribute her to that clinic in Florida. And then this actually works both ways. I may also have responsibility for the care and spend of a patient who was just passing through town with an upper respiratory infection and happened into my office. Maybe this person doesn't have a primary care provider to ensure quality preventive health care. Maybe this person falls acutely ill. If I don't know about this patient, how could I have intervened? How could I embrace her after her hospitalization? And, And not to mention the trust relationship that I could have had to guide her through difficult healthcare decisions that are awaiting her. To be financially accountable for a patient without visibility or the ability to impact the patient's outcomes, that's just terrifying. And then that's not even to speak of the challenge of overuse and in the customer service mentality that these small businesses must employ. Many patients with their access to the internet these days, they come in and they deliver their doctor's orders. When I was seeing patients, I can't tell you how many times in my clinic, the chief complaint would be something like needs MRI or requests referral to orthopedist, you know, nothing about their actual healthcare state. And value-based care really requires that physicians really take on the adage and embrace it that more healthcare is not always better. Patients aren't yet ready to accept this all the time. It takes 
a lot of time, really precious time in the patient-physician encounter to convince a patient out of an imaging study for something like low back pain that could do more harm than good, or to convince the patient that I am more than able to provide the initial management for their knee pain and save them a potentially unnecessary specialty visit. If you multiply a single one of these conversations by the 30 to 50 patients seen a day, it gets pretty exhausting. And then I think the last thing is that value-based care is not only about what you do with the patients who walk through your doors, it's critically important to find and manage the patients who never appear or who don't appear often enough. That's a new challenge. It takes workflow redesign, potentially new staffing roles. These are huge and disruptive changes for practices to bear. So it sounds like what you've described with value-based care, I think most people can get behind the idea of it, but then as is so often the case, the challenges in the complexity of the details or the challenges of actually implementing it. What do you think can be done to help ease this transition? So part of the issue is that right now, providers have a foot in each canoe. So if you consider the accountable care canoe and the fee-for-service canoe, the fee-for-service boat still holds the majority of their patients. And the more patients that actually a provider is caring for under a, such a value-based contracting agreement, the steadier the foothold becomes in the value-based care canoe and resources can actually be shifted more efficiently towards caring for the population of patients and towards value-based care activities. These are things like panel management, outreach, chronic care management, referral management, ensuring that the patient gets high quality care both within your doors and outside of them. And then I think the other thing that can help ease the transition is to have a community to look to for best practices. I think in today's healthcare ecosystem, independent physicians in primary care can feel somewhat isolated from other providers in a community. We actually bring them together and band them together to form a network and then can really have this hive mind to leverage of like-minded physicians that can think collaboratively about things to try and innovation for the good of their patients, their practices, and society. Given the challenges you've described, what do you think in particular primary care providers should know about value-based care? Fundamentally, I wish I could let everyone know that it's worth it. At Allidade, we've seen over 1,500 independent PCPs through this transition. I've been through the transition myself, and I've personally walked with incredible physicians through the process. The journey to get there wasn't easy, but it was worth it. I'll share a story about my friend and colleague, Dr. Sean Purifoy who lives and practices in Malvern, Arkansas. Uh, and and he, is, he is just a phenom, really. His practice was incredible then. His business was profitable. The community was well-served. Why would he challenge himself to do more, to provide accountable care and transition to value when the fee-for-service system was serving him so well? Well, Sean is bold, intrepid, and savvy, and he's got guts. He's followed the policy debates and understands this is the direction of the United States healthcare system. By necessity, we're just spending too much money, and we need to curb and shift to survive. His path was not easy, and, and I'll be frank, with every value-based care initiative we introduced, he pushed back. You know, how could he accommodate team-based annual wellness visits and all of their requirements when he already had his clinic functioning like a machine, already optimized exactly as he wanted? How could he ensure after-hours access that's mandatory to provide chronic care management service? 
these are examples of the pushback that he'd provide. But every time, lo and behold, Sean found a way. He's become a champion of the annual wellness visit for Medicare patients. So what did it take? You know, in, in conversation with him recently, he said it was the appeal to his conscience that this work was ultimately the right thing to do for his patients. And that's the heart of accountable care. It's the physician's love for his or her patient and improving the physician-patient relationship through better, more complete data and action on that data. Emily, that's really helpful to hear about your work with Dr. Purefoy and your thoughts on you know, what the average or, or in general what physicians should know about value-based care. But the other side of that is, what do you think patients should know about value-based care? What should they be thinking if they know that they're uh, providers in a value-based care contract or, or just in general? I think there are two main things, Joe. I think, first, I find that patients often assume superhuman capabilities of their primary care doctors. They think that the doctor somehow intuits when they've been somewhere else or when they've had an emergency room visit or when their health is getting worse. And the truth is, before our doctors were involved in an ACO, they didn't have access to data that the patient had been outside of their doors accruing healthcare costs and accruing utilization uh, elsewhere. And so I, I would hope that patients would learn that being in an accountable care organization or having a physician who is part of one means that your doctor has access to an incredible amount of information that they never had before that they can use to benefit your health. This isn't about Big Brother watching you. This isn't about the government having access to your data. Trust me, the government can already see your healthcare spend and your doctor can't until now. And that is really presenting the key towards better healthcare and higher value care. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Emily. And how does your work at Allidate in particular and Allidate's work overall contribute to the overall mission of value-based care? So we at Allidate broadly really build a toolkit and bring providers together to succeed and, and help them help train them in the principles of value-based care. Um, personally, we, we, we really value data and the data that we receive from the insurers, whether Medicare or otherwise, is very convoluted and requires a lot of massaging to produce usable insights. So one of the greatest services that we offer is digesting this data to expose the actionable insights that can actually improve patient care and presenting those in a scalable way through our app platform to our physicians and to their practice staff. We do this by prioritizing patients for outreach, taking account of their risks, their comorbidities, their healthcare utilization patterns. We try to help providers understand and and communicate the risk of their patient panels. Um, And we try to help them see what can be done outside of their walls through better referral management and high value referrals. And I think importantly, we also focus on extremely high-risk patients who have had utilization and, and who have needed healthcare services. So I think it's important to note that accountable care is not about stinting or decreasing the amount of healthcare services provided. It's about right-sizing healthcare services and making sure every patient is getting the right amount of care in the right place at the right time. So patients who do need a hospitalization need to be cared for upon discharge. So we help our practices understand when a patient has been discharged or recently seen in an emergency room and help them reach out and embrace those patients during vulnerable transitions of care. And further, if you consider that small population of patients 
who is at great risk of mortality in the next year, these patients nearing the end of their life, this is an exceptionally vulnerable time where we can help our providers to identify these patients and give them extra tools in their toolkit to engage those patients and make sure they understand their end-of-life wishes and their goals of care uh, for their last days so that we can optimize uh, and make sure that they are comfortable if that is their wish and make sure we provide concordance between what the patients want and what they receive in the end of their days. Emily, you touched on the idea that Allidate is training providers uh, in these uh, in the methods of value-based care and, and how you actually do this in real time. Uh, you, me, Josh, we're all physicians. Uh, how or should providers be taught about value-based care in medical school? And if not in medical school, maybe in residency. Uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. I think it's an imperative for the medical education system to embrace innovative value programs. And I think part of this is fostering a culture of continuous improvement and and really the belief and acknowledgement among physicians that we're not perfect. So I'll give you I'll give you an example that's painfully close to my heart. My first encounter with an accountable care organization was during residency. My residency hospital and my outpatient clinic represented two different pioneer ACOs, hospital-based academic medical center ACO and multi-specialty respectively. That we were part of a hospital-based ACO was totally invisible to me. Life functioned as if we were an optimized fee-for-service system. But the outpatient clinic was a different story. We had hypertension workflows, case managers, an entire staff person fully devoted to population health initiatives and panel management, and heavy pressure to refer within our clinic system. So one day, I saw a patient totally unfamiliar to me, and she was having an acute asthma attack. It was pretty scary, but I was able to stabilize her, prescribe her the medication she needed, counseled her, made sure she had a follow-up plan. She was going to be reevaluated in two days, and I was pretty proud of myself. I patted myself on the back, and that evening, I got an email from my clinic's medical director. I was getting dinged for failing to note a follow-up plan for her blood pressure, which had been elevated in the context of her asthma exacerbation. And like many of my fellow physicians, I wasn't accustomed to getting dinged and this really stung. I hadn't learned in medical school or in residency thus far to really take this as a gift, as an opportunity. And it seemed ridiculous to me, totally unfair. I, I hadn't I just helped her in her moment of need. So how did you how did you get through that and get to the point where now you're working on accountable care and, and value-based care? 100% of the time. It took a lot of post-processing and a lot of learning from people around me uh, who had already had those lessons. And, and so I've learned from others and from my experience that accountable care is, is far more by necessity than caring for a patient in their acute moment of need. It's about understanding, communicating, and attending to all of the risks that a patient may have, uh, really communicating not only to the patient and the follow-up plan, but also leaving a trail for other fellow healthcare providers that are going to be collaborating in this patient's care. Because what if every doctor that particular patient saw focused only on the issue of the hour? If every single physician missed the chance to discussion follow her elevated blood pressure like I had, then she could have been in a really hard place. And primary care is about the entire patient. So too must accountable care be for that patient and even to a greater extent. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. And, you know, I had none of that exposure when I was working in a hospital as a, a resident. Um, I don't know if Josh did or not. No, not at all. And I, you know, I wonder whether the, uh, the opportunity is in introducing that much earlier, as you said, um, not glossing over this. Um, I think the big challenge is going to be where do you fit it in? You know, as I talk to people who are about to go to medical school or who are in medical school currently, it's basically you spend the first two years doing what would easily be four years worth of material. And then you review it over the course of a few weeks, usually to take the first part of your board. So it's already a really tight um, curriculum challenge. Um, But I definitely think it's a challenge worth undertaking, um, as you said. And I think that's one area of opportunity is introducing these principles earlier on uh, in medical schools. But I'm curious, you know, what other opportunities areas do you see? What's the greatest opportunity to expand this? I think that educating the future stream of physicians is important, and I would I would make a passionate plea for displacing biochemistry in favor of value-based care education. Um, but I think we're actually getting a lot of gifts in the policy world that will facilitate expansion of value-based care. We are um, actually, the administration just very recently introduced policy to eliminate facility fee in hospital-based outpatient visits, which will greatly disincentivize swallowing up of independent primary care practices. And one thing we haven't really talked about today is the perverse incentive structure that hospitals and health systems have for engaging in value-based care work. As an independent physician-led ACO system, our doctors and our ACOs thrive on reinvestment in primary care so that patients can be served where they're most comfortable and best known rather than in the emergency rooms which are quite chaotic or in the hospitals where they're not known and could incur greater risk so the fact that that this may be a path towards preserving independence is a huge opportunity to expand value-based care i think the more that we align incentives the the farther we step away from fee-for-service incentives and move towards incentivizing quality value health care the the better positioned we'll be to succeed and to reverse these terrible gross domestic product changes. Mm-hmm. And then you've talked about the, the role of data. Can you speak a little bit more about how data plays a role in value-based care? Sure. So I'll talk to data in, in two pieces. I'll talk to the data that's new for providers that they never actually had, and then I'll talk to provision of data at the point of care. So so firstly, if if a patient is seen outside of the healthcare system that the provider, that the PCP operates in, they have no idea. So a patient could have seen them, um, as Mrs. Smith has seen me, every year, twice a year, for 12 years. She could also have been seeing you three times a year, and I would have no idea that she was cheating on me, so to speak. And that's really valuable information for our practices to hold on to. Our practices also may have hunches about care outside of their walls. They may think that colonoscopies are being performed on their patients at inappropriate intervals. They may think that one provider down the street in cardiology is actually giving everyone carotid ultrasounds on a yearly basis. But they may, it may, again, it may be a hunch 
this gives them the data to quantify inappropriate or potentially wasteful services so that they can change their referral patterns and enhance relationships with providers that provide care that they believe in, that they would endorse, and that they think promotes the health of their patients. So to summarize, I really think that data illuminates possibilities for accountability and is the real answer to, you know, so you expect me to be accountable for this patient's total healthcare costs, but really don't I only have control of what I order? Not anymore. What you're describing doesn't sound like it's something that's found in every electronic health record. How does Allidate get its providers this information? So what we do, first we process the data, and I mentioned the data cleanup that, that gets involved. Uh, but then we, we need to, as I, as I alluded to, we need to present insights at the point of care. And we need to embrace team-based care and retrain our practices on team-based care because the physician can't operate on an island, right? You need a team around you to efficiently move to value. So what we do, we have a, a multi-pronged approach where we have um, a home-baked app platform where we take and distill actionable insights for our patients and we give them to our providers to act on. And then we also have boots on the ground, technical assistance and practice visits and coaching and workflow help from our practice transformation specialists on the ground. Uh, one One of my favorite parts of the app that I'll describe briefly is called the daily huddle, where the day, the day's patients are laid out for the practice and key insights such as diagnoses, that are important to communicate the acuity of the patient panel that might be missing and need to be communicated in the insurance claim on the day. Those show up for them in the newest updates that we are releasing now. They can also see specialist utilization, and if a patient has been to specialists they're unaware of, it opens the door for a conversation. They can also see patient risk factors like medication adherence that we can gather from claims data. So we take all of the information that we can get and we present it at the point of care to the practice. There are also pieces of the app that are geared towards the other side of population health, the patients that aren't coming in optimally right now. And these are our outreach work lists, patients that we can say are due for a a high priority annual wellness visit. And we can help the office staff with workflows so that these patients can be called in and accommodated um, and so their care can be improved. That sounds like a fantastic platform and, you know, uh, would provide all the capabilities you would need to do this well. Um, of course, you always want to maintain high quality patient care. It's not all about costs, even though costs are a big part of it. Um, what do you see as the, the key components of maintaining that quality care while still achieving your cost savings goals in this model? It's really about putting the patient first every time and in every situation. Um, so I think you know what I mean by this is that we, we deliberately work with physicians who have incredible soul and incredible relationships pre-existing with their patients, and they'll be the first to remind us that this is ultimately about the patient. So we would never sacrifice a patient's necessary care for costs, and it's very important to make sure that our providers are aware of this and our patients are aware of this. We do a lot of coaching of our practices and our patients about best side of care and where care uh, where care is best for them, really. There is a place for the emergency room, and there is a need for hospitalization, and specialists are incredibly valuable for the right patients at the right time. So I think I think this is incredibly important. There are also 
part of the protection for patients that was instituted policy-wise were the quality measures for ACOs. And so every year, all of our ACOs report on quality measures uh, that are, are really, and for us, in some cases, I consider them perfunctory because I know our doctors to be extremely high quality and I know them to never be the kind to sacrifice patient quality for cost savings. But uh, for the, the community of ACOs across the country, there is that safeguard for patients that Medicare insurers, others are always paying attention to quality measures and how people are tracking. So that you do need to have excellent blood pressure control of your patient panel. You do need to reconcile those medications and make sure that high-risk patients are on a statin and that patients are getting the care that they need. And so this is a built-in safety guard for our patients that that I'm actually pretty grateful for at the end of the day. Emily, this has been fantastic. Thanks so much for, for taking us through this today. You know, one way I think that we could end this is uh, I'd love to hear what you would say to somebody who is interested in learning more about value-based care or maybe even considering joining an ACL. I would definitely reiterate my earlier point that it is worth it despite the amount of hard work that needs to go in to the transition to value-based care for success. It is absolutely worth it. We are seeing better care for our patients every day and incredible satisfaction from our providers. So I would say stick with it. This is the way of the future. And and again, you know, if you're an independent physician looking to join an ACO, come check out Allidade. We love our independent docs and, uh, and we're proud of the work they're doing. So really appreciate this opportunity to speak with you guys today.